I started my own glitter company and we used to give away free glitter at the shop because I thought it was just good to leave people with sparkles and this little extra touch and it was kind of psychedelic. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Tour Tales. As we approach the final tour for Dead & Company, summer 2023, we wanted to document the experiences of fellow Deadheads and Tourheads we've met along the way, including some of the legendary figures who've played a larger part in keeping the wheel of the Grateful Dead experience and culture rolling. We've met some pretty cool friends and characters along the way, and we felt this was a good opportunity to sit down, shoot the shit, and share with you some tales, both adventuresome and sometimes tragic, and usually psychedelic. Buckle up, kids. It's Dead Tour Tales time. Hey everybody, welcome to Dead Tour Tales. Today, episode 7, uh, we have our friend and mythical warrior, Sunshine Powers of Love on Hate. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but first, uh, I want to take a minute to encourage you to reach out to us. Send us an email, bananas at deadtourtales.com. Don't actually send us bananas, that's just the, the email. Well, maybe send us bananas, I like bananas. <laughs> bananas, burritos, send Whatever, it all, we'll yeah. take it, yeah. Um, but seriously, send us an email, feedback, suggestions, uh, stories, jokes, whatever. Reach out to us. Give us a holler. And while you're at it, check out our previous episodes. We've got some good ones. Um, download, subscribe, write us a nice review if you could. Uh, check out our Patreon subscription package. You can get uh, some bonus footage some free merch, exclusive content. We've got some good video footage lately, too. Uh, and Dime Store advice, of course. Uh, and again, all that can be found at deadtourtales.com. All right. Today's episode, we have our friend, Sunshine All My Sparkles Powers, the owner, magic maker, and glitter queen of the iconic retail store and artist collective Love on Hate. Love on Hate is located in the famed Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. Uh, not only is Sunny a magical human being, but she has quite the story. Uh, from having lived a classic country song, she lost everything in the market crash of 2008, even her dog. Damn. Uh, she... Harsh. Yeah. She started up, wrote an internationally acclaimed blog, Diaries of a Tenderloin Princess. And in 2017, Jammin' on Hate became Love on Hate, uh, and the rest you'll hear, hear all about. Uh, recently, Sonny started the nonprofit Colors of Love Foundation, inspired by the death of George Floyd and a desire to do more for her community. Colors of Love acts as a women's prisoner reentry program, which assists two to three women a year and teaches them the art of tie-dye and the business behind it. Sonny also, yeah, super great. Sunny shares with us her deep love and connection with her city, her neighborhood, and her community, and her drive to do her part to bring more love and glitter to the people. Uh, real quick, I just want to read this about, about Sunny and Love on Hate. Sunshine Powers and Love on Hate have been honored by the Senate, Congress, 
the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco, the State Equalization Board, and Small Business Commission for their work with the community. This includes their work with homeless youth, homeless youth of the hate, the massive fire donation drives that Love on Hate has done during the North Bay fires, and Sunshine and Love's dedication to the constantly improving the community of the hate Ashbury. Sunshine continues to dedicate her life to her community and teaching the powers of the rainbows. I wanted to say too, uh, since we had Sunshine in the studio, uh, she recently, Love on Hate just got awarded a, a legacy business uh, in San Francisco. It's uh, incredible. That, yeah, it's really, that is a really awesome thing. And uh, I know that she's really happy about that. So congratulations, Sunny and Love on Hate. All right. So without further ado, welcome Sunshine Powers. All right. Hello, Sunshine Powers. Uh, so nice to have you. Thanks for being here, Sonny. Um, we're really looking forward to, to shooting the shit with you today uh, and having you maybe teach us a little bit about the power of rainbows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I got to say, uh, before we start, I think your your email signature is my favorite thing ever. Thank you. Is it you. okay if I say what yes. your email sign-off is? Uh-huh, so, Absolutely. When, when Sunny communicates via email, her email sign-off is all my sparkles, awesome. <laughs> which I think is super awesome and totally fits you to a T. So uh, very cool. Uh, so you just got back from Las Vegas, right? You went to see Panic? Three Nights of Panic in Vegas for my husband's birthday. I took him to my favorite band for his birthday. Nice. Wow. Wow. Can we be your backup husbands next time uh, panic comes around? Totally. We had really good sweet seats all three nights, oh, too. Wow. So it was it was really nice. Yeah, I can't. Wow. Except the Hard Rock doesn't have room service. So Or the Virgin Hotel doesn't have room what? service anymore. So, yeah, it's really weird. And they don't have Expresso, which is really messed up. I just want to... So you're basically slumming. Yeah, I mean, in Vegas, yeah. that is slumming. Yeah, it, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, how how were the show? I, I love Panic, and I haven't seen them in forever. And I had tickets to see them at, at the Oxbow in Napa, mm-hmm. and then they kept postponing it. And then when it finally came around, I, I was elsewhere and didn't get to go. So um, I'm like scratching at the whatever to see Panic. It's been so long. Panic was hot. It was like dirty, funky, grr, but still had the like rhythm going. And um, it was solid three night shows. I've been following them since 2000 and still haven't gotten my vacation. So I'm waiting for that. And I'm wow. really annoyed now because I'm always like, you can't miss any songs in case they miss vacation. And I can't do that. So I'm chasing vacation like a very <laughs> desperate girl. I love that we do that, right? I love that we, they're like, there's songs that we're like, you know, going from, I mean, we're going from show to show anyways, <laughs> yeah. but it just adds another element of like, you know, suspense and, 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 you know, weight to it. Like I'm chasing this song. I haven't heard this since this, or yeah. I love that about our, our, you know, that's within the Grateful Dead world, you know, and panic. It's all kind of the same. Yeah. Um, I, I read something uh, somewhere once somebody was talking about three night panic runs, right? Because I love how they, they don't tour anymore. They just do like these short residencies mm-hmm. in different places, which I think is really smart. Uh, and I love that about them. And 
So somebody set up Friday, Saturday, Sunday night panic shows. Friday, they're coming in and they're just throwing some stuff at the wall and they're bringing you some heat. And yeah. then Saturday night, they're just they're they're they've hit their stride and they're balls to the wall, like throwing it throwing it down and you're getting the fire. And then Sunday night is the like never miss a Sunday show, right? Like they're kind of closing out the weekend, giving you all the love. Like it's like the climax, if you will, but in a loving way, you know what I mean? And I just thought that. Second encore was uh, you can't always get what you want on Sunday shows. Wow. uh, It was a good way to end a weekend. Yeah. Except uh, coming home is rough. Coming, yeah. uh, coming home from Vegas after, yeah, yeah. ouch. So yeah. We had the sunglasses on in the airport at like five at night. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I think I saw you this past summer. Was it this past summer at Shoreline? Uh, yes. You had a birthday show, right? And you, you stopped by afterwards show, to say hello. Yeah, they played yeah. on my birthday. I couldn't complain. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. It's that always nice good to go back to Shoreline. Shoreline's a great yeah, venue. And you know what was cool about this year? They let us stay set up as vendors. Like they never do that. They let us because it was two nights. They let us instead of breaking down and then coming back in the morning. They let us yeah. keep our stuff up overnight, which I thought That's was really, really cool awesome. Them. That's great. Did did you all camp camp there and stuff? No, they didn't want us. Uh, they didn't want people sleeping there. I imagine some people did, but you know, I, I went and uh, uh, I got a room somewhere nearby ish. You know who was with me, uh, Brandon? Who was with you? Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear was with you. Pooh Bear, yeah. I let Pooh Bear tag along. Shoes on? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I, maybe. Well, that was the beginning know. of the tour. Um, so those shoes were new at that, that time. That was the very beginning. Yes, that was his. He had just gotten to the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our friend Pooh Bear. I mean, household. So. Oh, what? Not, not, <laughs> not, not this guy. Not, no, 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 no. 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 Uh, okay. So, <clears throat> again, welcome to the show. Super stoked to have you here. Uh, like I, like we talked about, we're going to do our best to try to keep this nice and trim, uh, for time's sake. Uh, so let's talk about it. Let's, uh, what was your introduction to the Grateful Dead? How did you, wh- where did you get the, the, the bite? Well, I, I'm a native San Franciscan. So That's like right. for high school, we learned about the sixties and the Grateful Dead for an entire period for an entire year. I don't really, it disappoints me how much the youth today are not able to learn about the real history, especially of California and San Francisco, because for me, the Haight-Ashbury, it has, what's what's happening in the rest of the world now happened here over 50 years ago, and it's just Mm -hmm. taking a while for everyone else to catch up. Um, But I first started coming into the Haight- when I was like 12 and I um, learned about the Grateful Dead mostly on Haight Street. That's where I used to hang out. That's where I made all my friends. It's where I got my first Grateful Dead, my first and only Grateful Dead ticket. And um, it's just for, for me, when people think of San Francisco, they think of the Golden Gate Bridge, Pier 39, and a hippie on the corner of Haight and Ashbury. And the Grateful Dead is a huge reason why we have hippies on the corner of Haight and Ashbury. <laughs> Pardon me, someone's whining. Okay, and say hi. Join the interview, Dave. Okay, Dr. Aww. Dave's ready to join the interview. Dr. Dave, what's up, buddy? Oh, hey, what a is, handsome dog. This is Dr. Dave. He was whining a little bit, so I had to get him up. Oh, 
I Dr. Dave. I might get one of some scratching on the door here soon. <laughs> to let someone. Yeah, Brandon's, Brandon's got three dogs with him at the yeah, shop. Yeah, I got three of them here. Well, that's a very appropriate uh, appropriate introduction uh, to the Grateful Dead, Hate Street, right? I mean, that's yeah. that was a big draw for me too as a teenager because I grew up in upstate New York, and when I came out, I mean, it was all about. As soon as I started learning about the beats, right, the, the beat generation, the beat writers, and then the tie to the Grateful Dead, it was like this, you know what I mean? And yeah. Keezy and the acid tests and, you know, uh, electric Kool-Aid acid test by Tom Wolf. And, uh, it all was just like, it, it was like puzzle pieces fitting together. And I knew that I knew, and then, you know, knowing that that's where kids hung out in between tours was hate street. So that just felt like Mecca to me. You know, I mean, we, we had a whole, we had, we read the electric Kool-Aid acid test when I was in high school and like my teacher broke it down and did the whole thing. Wow. And we read one flu. <laughs> a lot different. <laughs> yeah. I so like for me, it was part of who I was growing up and part of the city that I connected to. And I, I just, it's, it's a harsh reality when I go places and I ask people if they know about the hate Ashbury and they don't even know about the hate Ashbury. And it is um, disappointing to me. And I wish that we would educate the younger generations more about some of the real change that happened here, because besides the sex, drugs and rock and roll, which I say is like the frosting, there mm -hmm. is a really good cake of social consciousness that happened in the hate Absolutely. in the summer of love that I personally try to focus more on, even though the sex, drugs and rock and roll are clutch. <laughs> yes. But that stuff gets old. Right. And it's like, what do you have when, when, when that thin veneer of that fun stuff wears off, you know, yeah. like where, where are you now? Right. What are you left with? Right. So uh, expanding your consciousness and, and continuing to grow your consciousness and widen your consciousness uh, feels like a more fruitful endeavor, right? However you begin to undertake that journey, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, I think it's hard to over, to overstate the significance of the cultural impact and the revolution that took place in the Haight-Ashbury, you know, in San Francisco as a city, but also uh, especially in the Haight-Ashbury. You know, like yeah. I think it, it's easy to just see photos of it in like Time magazine or, you know, documentaries uh, and not really understand. Like you said, a lot, much of the rest of the world is now uh, uh, catching up to where the hate was in the 60s. You know, right. I mean, Dr. Dave, not the dog, but the person <laughs> has been um, preaching that healthcare is a right and not a privilege since 1967. And now just recently, it's on the tongues of all the politicians. But Dr. Well, Dave, not all the politicians, that, clearly. Well, but, you know, the, the progressive yeah. politicians. Right. Uh, or the California politicians. <laughs> well, you got Bernie, too. You got Bernie in Vermont. And yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things that has been here in the hate since 1967. And it just now it's, you know, whether you're looking at gay rights, free health care, homeless youth, it, there are all things that we started addressing here in the hate ashbury in the late 60s. And the rest of the country is just kind of catching up to it now. Well, the the, uh, uh, the Heat Ashbury Free Clinics, those were all started mm -hmm. that time, weren't they? Yeah, so they were started by Dr. Yeah. Dave, who my dog yeah. is 
after and he um it was the first free clinic in the united states and the first day that uh they are the first day they opened they helped like 347 people for the first two years they stayed open uh 24 hours a day seven days a Mm -hmm. week um and he was actually followed by the DEA because at the time it was uh, illegal to treat an addict. And he came up with the methadone programs that are still around today. And then the wow. Vietnam vet started to come back um, addicted to speed and heroin. And he mm-hmm. went from being followed by the DEA to being the number one government funded addiction researcher, which he still is to this day. Well, I mean, I've used the services there when I was in San Francisco. Me too. And I, I'm sure yeah. you, you know, Mary Howe, correct? Of Homeless Youth Alliance. Yes, Mary's a great yeah. friend of mine. So I'm very, you know, it's just like, I'm in Cincinnati now. I grew up here, but I spent a lot of time in California, a lot of time in San Francisco. But I mean, yeah, San Francisco and Haight-Ashbury, I mean, my company I have here was started on Waller Street in a studio basement printing posters for bands. I mean, Hate Ashbury is like the mecca of all this stuff. And it's just like, it's so glad yeah. that you can talk. Like it is, it's very sad that so many people don't understand the big things that came out of just, just this Correct. little like, uh, eight block area, this little area. area. Yeah. Like there was this place called the Hamilton Family Center, and now it's the Waller Street yeah. Center, and they have the food banks there. But they ha- used to be a family clinic, and before the Hamilton Family Center opened in 1967, if you were a family in need, uh, they would take in the women and children, and they wouldn't take in the dad. And the Hamilton Family Center acknowledged that that's not how you make a family stronger. You don't break them apart. You keep them together. And within three months of opening, they became the most successful family center in the United States by 75%. That's amazing. And wow. revolutionized the way that family centers work. And then you have like the Huckleberry Youth mm-hmm. Center with the homeless runaways. Like that's all, those those are still here. They are still part of who we are in our community. And I, uh, for for me, when I talk about the summer of love or when I give walking tours or anything like that, I really, as much as the sex, drugs, and rock and roll are amazing and the music is, <laughs> and we have Rockstar Alley, which I like to call right here in the yeah. hate, you know, there is this underbelly of social services and caring about your community, which I think really is the heartbeat of the Haight-Ashbury. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I continue during the work I do, because to me, that's the most important thing to carry on Definitely. for next, for the next generations to really teach them what to me the hate is all about. I, I love that. And I don't want to get too political. Um, cause I mean, it's just, I, it's hard not to these days. Anything you say, I feel like can be politicized. I think that's just the name of the game. Uh, but I feel like your your approach or philosophy or just how you live your life, right, like you just described, I think is in direct contradiction to what is happening in so many parts of our country, <coughs> Florida, uh, where, where uh, Fox News, where they're just completely rewriting history. Uh, yeah. You know, and there anything that to the people like us uh, and the and the people that live and think the way that you're describing, uh, which the hate Ashbury, it, it, you know, the spirit embodies, 
it's just like intuitive and it just common sense. It just like, Hey, take care of each other. Right. Like, yeah. uh, like you said, sex, drugs, and rock and roll aside, like, uh, take care of, take care of each other, take care of ourselves, take care of each other, help out your, your, your neighbor, your fellow man, your fellow woman, uh, you know, empathy, compassion. These are just like natural instincts within us, uh, that nowadays, um, that kind of thinking you just get accused of being woke, which is just crazy to me. Well, you know, there's a, as someone that employs a lot of teenagers, I understand where there's a fine line. Like I didn't know that an accountant means a hooker and I'm not supposed to say accountant. That was like, really? I've never heard that that one either. I I pay my, I'm keeping my accountant. (laughs) So I, I, you know, there's, there's a yin and, and there's a yang and I feel like, you know, so many people tell me they're leaving San Francisco because of this and that. And I am adamant about this is why you stay and this is why you fight because you don't let it become something that you don't want to. And the reality is that I believe that people who are in Florida or who are like this DeSanto's mind, they're really not educated in how magical community can be. And they're not educated in the power of community. And I feel like slowly you can get through to people. And the most important way you can do is to lead by example. You don't have to, most of the people that are spewing off these crazy things, they don't walk the walk, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just too busy talking the Mm -hmm. talk. And it takes people who have guts and it takes people who are willing to, I know people with a lot of money and they have this power and some of them can do, they waste it and they're so unhappy and it's Mm -hmm. so, just not okay to watch. And then I see people with money that do the most amazing things. Like I know someone that got a huge tax break from Trump. So they donated all that money to Planned Parenthood. (laughs) And they put all these movies on Sundance about help, about ADA compliance and how we need to work on that and the foster care system. And it's what you choose to do, you know, and no matter where you are, if you choose to do good, I've personally learned that your life is better. And so I think once people realize that, they'll get it. But a lot of people don't know true love and aren't safe in how they feel. And I think that causes a lot of anger. I agree. I, I think, um, you know, my opinion uh, uh, with my limited education uh, I believe that a lot of it stems from, you know, since the 80s, maybe the 70s, you know, there was a marked change from uh, the counterculture movement in the 60s and the 70s. And then it was like things changed drastically from the 80s on, right? This whole me, 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 individualism, rugged individualism. I'm going to take care of me and me only. The 80s, the decade of greed and me and uh, you know, I wonder it, if Coke had anything. To do. I was just going to say and cocaine <laughs> right? and crack, right? Oh, wow. Me, 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 yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> I think My I feel like it is. Joe, I was like, why don't you do Coke? Blow? Cause I used to do blow and I haven't in years. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I asked my friend Joe why he doesn't do it. And he's like, because when people tell me they love me, I want to believe them. (laughs) 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 Well, I feel like it's kind of steered our our societal mindset towards uh, away from community, right? Away from uh, helping each other out and, you know, it's, again, it's the opposite of, uh, it takes a village and we're stronger together. And so I I agree with you. And I see that there's a big, there's a bit of push lately, which I think is great back towards that, right? Like we're stronger together, unity, you know. Um, To be kind and understand, right? We don't agree with each other, but that doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful. That doesn't mean we have to be mean. That doesn't mean we have to write random angry social media comments that are just like out, like where the hell did that come from? Mm-hmm. Like it's gone too far. I think social it- media is a huge issue with that. Like people yeah. feel like they can just talk about anything and it makes no sense, but it's, you know, I, again, that's why we have to stay and fight and lead by example. And, you know, the more that we put forward that love and we can touch people with it, the more we have the ability to change people, even if in one small way, or if you can help evolve one person, that's something, you know, and I feel like we forget that it doesn't all happen at once or in politics, true change does not happen overnight. It takes years and years. years. (laughs) A long time. Yeah. You know, my husband was, uh, he's a huge staunch supporter of mental health and is trying to get free mental health care with the Carter Foundation to all of the United States. And I think it was 10 years ago before I met him, he was at dinner in Washington, D.C. with his old partner and, um, The Kennedy Center called his partner who passed and his partner, Bruce Bronson, started bawling because about 30 years ago, he had worked to put mental health policies inside California. And most of the California mental uh, policies are because of Bruce Bronson and his daughter, who is mentally ill. And 20 years after Bruce had started those fights, his mental health care items were in Obamacare. 20 years later and he didn't stop fighting for 20 years, but that's, that's what change happens. That's when people don't give up and they stick their feet in and they don't stop. You know, that's, that's when change happens. Radical compassion leads to radical fulfillment. Yeah. You just can't Uh, quit. You just can't (laughs) quit. I I love that. Yeah. Um, I have to tell myself that every day. Uh, you know, I think Lucas Nelson, Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's, one of Willie Nelson's songs has a song uh, called, uh, or it's about turn off your TV and plant a garden, right? And, and I, I just love that. Uh, uh, Nietzsche always comes into my head. God is dead. Technology has killed him. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. man, isn't that true? Um, <clears throat> okay, so. Sorry, back to the Grateful Dead. Talk yeah. to us about your first show. You have you see? Do you get to see Jerry? I saw one Jerry show. I think okay. it was on June fourth uh, at Shoreline. I got my ticket right outside the shop. Uh, Cassidy, here comes sunshine. It was nice, good action. But I was like fifteen, like 
What year was no, that? I just it... turned 15. It was 95. 95. And then Jerry died right after it. And the city yeah. was crazy when Jerry died. I mean, that was... I was there. Yeah, I mean, it was... There wasn't a pole, uh, a tree, a corner that in the hate that didn't mm -hmm. have some sort of memorial. And the polo fields was just mm -hmm. such a... Yeah, as a native San Franciscan and as a deadhead, of course, I wish I had seen more of the dead music. And God, I wish I had seen Brent because... I know, me too. I yeah. never got to either. Voice my heart. Yeah. And we have Brent lessons here at the shop and everything like that. So it's... <laughs> that's awesome. That's, you know, I, I wish I had been able to see more but the music today is just for me uh you know i also wish i could have seen donny hathaway so there is a <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people that i wish i had seen and i'm grateful that i got to see one dead show and for me it was really hard to get back into the grateful dead after jerry died it was like yeah. really hard because it didn't sound like it did on my tapes. Someone yeah. gifted me like 900 soundboard tapes. So like wow. by the time I was 16, I had like wow. the Grateful Dead tape selection, like all soundboard. We had like the tangent from six, you know, old and in the way I had the epic wow. tape collection and it was really hard for me i think i went to one show and bobby was singing standing on the moon and i was like <laughs> and um, i can do that you know and what really brought me back to the music was when phil played with the quintet and Ooh, the cue. Did, yes it was uh phil jimmy heron warren haynes who warren i haynes. I mean, my original Yahoo and Gmail addresses are Warren Mofo Haynes, that man. <laughs> it's not a belly, but it's his diaphragm and his singing muscle that is contained in his stomach. Mm. So like, Ooh. and, um, you know, uh, Molo and Baraka. And what I really yeah. liked about that is that they came out with new music. And for me, I am someone that is constantly evolving. If I am sane, mm. still, I am not trying and I, one of my regrets with the dead is that while Robert Hunter was alive, they didn't come up with any more music because I think that that would have evolved us even more. And I remember going to those Phil shows and some people were so upset that they were playing from their new album and, um, and not singing just the old songs. And I was like, but this is like... Patrick Quilt is about Jerry. What are you talking about? Like, so if for 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 me, I really I like the evolution of music and I like how you can go to a widespread panic show and hear a Rolling Stone cover and be mm. like, damn, that's pretty much as good as when I saw the Rolling Stones do it. And it's yeah. different because it's evolved. And so for me, as long the the quintet really brought me back. I was able to go on tour after the quintet. I was able to be like, okay, here we go. And the new music was, for me, I I really loved. Like, But also, I really loved Warren Haynes. And like, I think I was in the Roseland when, uh, in, up in Portland. There must have been like 15. I don't know how big the venue is. It's not very big. Not very big. And the quintet A was... A thousand, maybe? Yeah, thousand and they did maybe. like a Stella blue that brought me to tears, like just 
crying. Wow. And then they did like a low spark on high heel. Oh, and it was traffic. Panic, it was like, panic does a killer version of that. Yeah, it was yeah. dirty. Man. And it was wow. the evolution of music. And it was like, I could hear this music that was so hard for me to hear for so long. Like if I had heard Stella Blue in 97 or 99, I probably wouldn't have been like, <laughs> you mm. know, especially to, for me, Warren singing it. People can feel however they want about Warren Haynes, but I feel like he is one of the most, he respects who he covers. Mm -hmm. And not only is he a great writer, songwriter, but he's one of the best cover bands I've ever seen. I saw him do Mm -hmm. like uh, the Something's Happening Here in the Fillmore in like 99. Oh, wow. Goosebumps. With that voice? Oh, man. that voice and the soul. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the few musicians that can move me. Yeah. Can I tell a quick Warren Warren Haynes story? Uh, I mean, it's not much to it. I just, uh, I'm grateful. Uh, Two summers ago, I believe, I went back to my hometown. Uh, My wife and I would, we would go back for two weeks and we'd spend a a week in my hometown and a week in her hometown in Pennsylvania. Uh, Because they're close enough. And we'd get all our family visits out of the way. And while I was back there, Warren Haynes was playing uh, just a solo show, just Warren uh, at this outdoor stage in Lake George, right? Which Mm is basically my hometown. Uh, So I went and I went with a friend that I grew up with, one of my close friends growing up. And we sat outside in lawn chairs and it was raining and it didn't matter. And it was awesome. And it was was just cool to see Warren Haynes in my hometown after not you know, being away for so long, it was just a yeah. really cool and just sitting and watching him in the rain. It was just a cool experience. And yeah, and I agree. Warren's is, uh, awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, when I moved down from Eugene, my last show in Oregon was at the crystal ballroom and it was government mule. And I actually made this sign that was like Warren Haynes is my church, but I was doing a lot of drugs at the time and I spelled church wrong, but I fixed it. <laughs> anyway. So then they all, they all signed it. And then my first show was government mule at the Warfield. They did two nights. The, I don't know if it was the first or the second night, Grace Potter came out and they did a take me to the river. And then Jackie wow. green came out the next day and they did a morning dew. And it was a great welcome back to San Francisco being able to catch wow. that. Um, so one thing, uh, one thing I wanted to kind of mention too, I think it's easy to, I I love that you're, I don't think entrenched is the right word. You're committed. You're committed to, you grew up in San Francisco, you're, you have businesses in San Francisco, your love, your heart, your everything is in San Francisco. You're not going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I, nominated for a legacy business and we've passed the first um, wow that's great process so what business? The historical commission and we have another hearing on march 13th and it it looks like we're gonna get it so um love, which also means hate. that wow. if i die the shop has to stay love on hate that it is wow congratulations that's a- has to stay love on hate so it's and the, it is, like a historical um, so it becomes wow. part of like a historical society type deal yeah yeah, and um, we had a little issue with it because we have changed names over the year. And they were like, you know, are you trying to do this for a lease? Are you trying? I was like, no, I just got a 10 year lease. I just, this, I want this to be my, I don't have kids. So I want this to be my legacy to San yeah. Francisco that I can leave 
because the wow, city is, awesome. where where else can a girl who's like got bright curly red hair wears glitter i have rainbow mascara and full tie-dye <laughs> and i go speak at city hall i got invited to meet the vice president last week like there is no other place in the world that someone like me can be as politically active and um you know, I go a lot of places and people judge me because of how I look. And in San Francisco, that's just not always the case. Yeah. And I, I don't think I could ever leave. I, I, I want to say something I just realized right now. Um, I love that as we're recording this today, as we're having this conversation today, because we won't release this until I think we want to try to release this episode sooner than later. But obviously it takes a minute. But as we're talking right now today is international women's day yeah i just wanted to recognize that that just occurred to me um, uh, we currently have an all-female staff we mostly have an all-female staff once in a while a guy comes in and we're like only the strong survive (laughs) and it's not that we don't want to hire men because it just seems that because we do you know and we really try um but also i have been um my previous job, I was the only woman uh, with a lot of men, and uh, I have always worked with a lot of men. And as a woman, it is not easy. You know, if the Me yeah. Too movement had come yeah. 10 years earlier, my life would be different. You know, who I am would be different, but that's just not the case for me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to make it as a woman. You know, I was single for 10 years. And for me, it's much easier to move forward being in a relationship than it is being single because there's a whole nother aspect when you're dealing with people and that and uh, business. And I really, again, I don't have kids, but I have these 18-year-olds to 24-year-olds. And I really feel like it takes a village. And I I tell their parents, like, I'm going to, I got this, like they're safe. And if they have to go to their emergency room, I go with them and we try to house them and we try to do all these things to help build our community, but also to have people that we're kind of like a mesh pot of people that might not have fit in in other spots and might not get a chance. But here, if you're you and you're magical and you work hard, you're going to succeed. And I think that, um, it's unfortunate that a lot of women haven't had that and don't have that. And I really try to give them that space because I want something better for them than what I had. Well, I think it's clear that they have the perfect role model, you know, for to keep a safe space for their hearts and hearts and minds and their persons. Right. Um, I mean, you're clearly doing a lot of good. Um, uh, we had in, we had intentions of because uh, we recognize this is women's women's month. March is women's month, and I think it's important to <clears throat> excuse me uh, to bring attention to that, right? Uh, for a lot of reasons uh, that you just stated and more. Um, and and Brandon and I discussed it at, at length. And we I, originally we wanted to have every episode that we we released this month uh, be a, be a woman, be a female uh, episode. Uh, it didn't, it didn't quite work out that way just for a number of reasons, but, um, I, I'm really happy that, 
uh, on International Women's Day that you're our guest that we're getting to talk to. Uh, I think that's really great. Um, and then another thing we did too was we worked with an artist friend of ours uh, who is a very talented artist and a, and a successful businesswoman, just a rad human being. Uh, I'm big fans of her and her husband, uh, my friend Aaron Cadigan. She did a, a women's month, women's month specific design for us mm -hmm. that with the sales proceeds of this uh, design, the, these shirts, we're going to donate to uh, a, a women's cause. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, uh, so we did a women, women are smarter, right? Grateful mm -hmm. Dead song, women are smarter, women's centric design. So it only makes sense especially during the month, you know, women's month of March that we donate the proceeds of this design to a women's month or to a women's organization. And the one that we landed on, of course, was your nonprofit Colors of Love, right? So uh, can you quickly talk to us about how Love on Hate became Love on Hate? Because originally it was Jamming on Hate, right? Uh, then, originally it was Positively Hate Street. Positively Hate Street. I and remember that. And in actually. 1992 by Jim Preston, and it actually opened around the corner where Rose Gold's tattoo shop is. Uh, Jim Preston did the uh, tie-dye on the backdrop of the Grateful Dead album, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Grateful Dead. In 1998, uh, the building undertook its first earthquake retrofit, and uh, Positively Hate Street was able to move into the current location at 1400 Hate Street. Um, in 1992, I walked into Positively Hate Street. I bought my first tie-dye. I smoked my first bowl outside. I used those payphones that were out there all the time. The 43 would get me off, and I would just I remember. Those. Oh, yeah. yep. um, and then I had moved away and I came back after losing everything and starting over. And I had dated uh, the Seven Walkers tour manager for a short period of time. And when I was dating him, I met Benjamin. And he, uh, a few months later, purchased Jammin' on Hate, Positively Hate Street. And I was working at a restaurant at the time and I really was curious about who was going to do what to my corner. Um, pretty much I'm very possessive of, of this corner and I think I always have been and like people will get kind of sassy with me and I'm like, Oh no, this is my corner. You must be new. Nope. This is what's <laughs> going down. And I'm very, I'm just very possessive of this corner. And I walked in and Ben told me that he wanted to revitalize hate street and that this is what he wanted to do. And, you know, at the time, he wasn't really paying people. But once he started paying people, I started working. <laughs> and That's always good, right? Money. <laughs> right? Yeah, especially uh, so in an expensive like, city like San Francisco. Yeah, yeah you need money. Right. So, yeah. so like a month later, I started, at the time, I had six jobs. Oh, I had gosh. like um, wow. absurd amounts of jobs that was just like not... It was too much. You know, I was volunteering. I was working. I was working triples. Um, and I was still in the restaurant business, which was a business I didn't want to be in. Oh, um, preaching to the choir, slowly, my friend. I slowly started working here. It was not... I remember once everyone left and they put me in charge and it was a little banana pants because there was some like drinking and stuff. And I was like, I can't do this. Wait, and drinking on like, Hate Street? No. <laughs> well, in the shop, 
At like nine thirty okay. in the morning, oh, that's not good. good okay. Yeah, it's not no. <laughs> on the street. They're drinking at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> oh, I, when I was a Haystreet kid, we would wake up in the morning and start drinking Kansas Steel Reserve out of uh, what's it? Fred's shop is exactly, Fred's Market. Yeah, still right but there? not yeah. if you're getting paid. That's not no, the right way no, to do yeah, it. That's, no. that's true. <laughs> so, and for me, I had already owned a business and lost a business our own two businesses and lost a business. So I, I take business seriously, yeah. you know, for, for, for me, you know, peace, love, we all have to, I'm a worker. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I like to work. I like to, my dad taught me a long time ago, there is a joy in labor found. Mm-hmm. And for me, it is um, what I like to do. And I remember someone, uh, or everyone, all the man, or all the owners left, and I came back, and they're like, "So how'd it go?" I was like, "I can't do this." And they were like, "Why? You're in charge." I was like, "If I was in charge, these people wouldn't be here, and we'd be running mm. it like this." And after that, I kind of took over managing the shop, um, and I was here every day. There was like six months where I couldn't get a day off, and um, it was. It was an interesting journey. I started I started hating glitter and tie-dye, and then I opened up a glitter company, and now I have a tie-dye shop. So. <laughs> As my dad says, shift happens. Shift happens. Yeah. great. Yeah. So I started – I actually started selling glitter um, – I started my own glitter company and we used to give away free glitter at the shop because I thought it was just good to leave people with sparkles and this little extra touch. And it was kind of psychedelic. And, you know, um, then Ben was like, you need to stop buying glitter and start just producing your own glitter. And I was like, yeah. Wow. And, um, how, do you, how do you get into the glitter? How do you make glitter? <laughs> <laughs> or is this are we going no, down a rabbit hole on this are, one <laughs> uh, no unicorns are harmed in the making of glitter <laughs> yeah. they're very tired afterwards um in an odd turn of events uh, the glitter did well i was making like four or five grand a month wow on we are in the what? wrong business jay uh, yeah i'm in the wrong business wow yeah, no. that's when i was on it i'm not on it anymore and i like pay the girls at the shop to do it we just sell it out of the shop but there is a moment when i was hustling the glitter <laughs> and i had like wholesale wow. orders and i was like jamming the glitter and i was able to move out of the tenderloin something that wow. I never where thought. were you in the tenderloin uh i was on leavenworth and Ellis. nice i lived yeah, on the corner was, of turk uh, and taylor for a while <laughs> So you understand, right? Um, wow. It's free TV without commercial. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dealing Jeez. with it, so it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was interesting. Uh, but I was able to move out. I actually moved to Seven Twenty Ashbury. That was my wow. first spot outside of the Tenderloin, and then I popped around, and I'm back on Page. My husband and I just bought a flat on Page and Broadway. Nice. So really Congratulations. And. Um, you know, I, I actually, um, before I bought Jammin, it was, um, I was, uh, towards the end of it, I was married to Ben's brother, which is not a good move. To, I mean, not anything, per, just don't, to get involved with your boss's brother is not. Sure, sure, sure. Don't do that. And I actually had to look about walking away from the shop because, you know, you can't ask someone to choose between you and their brother. That just Ooh. 
what you do. That's not polite. And um, myself and the owner of Warrior Within actually opened a shop down the street in late 2016. And about a month later, Ben decided that he didn't want the shop. And so at the time I was a board president, actually with Kevin, of uh, a nonprofit called Taking It to the Streets. I remember that. And one of my tits, yeah. And one of my uh, main donors, um, (laughs) I was telling, I actually had a meeting with them the next day after the whole, I don't want the shop thing, which really floored me. Because even though I had opened the other shop, I still spent most of my time at this shop, even though it wasn't mine. It was really was that like, like a kick. Would it feel like a kick in the gut? Because obviously you didn't know that you were going to be taking it over at that time. I you just, just I just or, or was there excitement, like the possibility of, oh, did you have that thought immediately? Like, oh, maybe I can. No, I didn't. Or was it we're going to lose this? And, and I was going through a breakup. <clears throat> Everything was really weird. It was, right. it was weird and it was hard. Yeah. And um, my. Um, my donor said, well, why don't, what, what would happen for Ben to give you the shop? And I'd be, I was like, I have to buy him, buy him out. And they're like, well, why don't we do that? I was like, what do you mean? Why don't we do that? Get out of here. And like two days later I emailed her and I was like, were you serious about that? And she was like, yes. And I said that I, and that, and then she said, I didn't need to pay her back. And I said, well, I'm going to give all the money to the community. And she said that that was fitting. That's and my favorite part of that. Awesome. That and whole it's it's timeline. it's the same person that donated all the money to Planned Parenthood. Wow. And for me, that's one of wow. the other reasons why I do what I do because I want to show people that are blessed enough to have money that there are people who aren't selfish with it and that will do really good things with it. You just have to find them. And if it wasn't for her believing in me and my ability to do this, I wouldn't be able to do this. And I have to give her large amounts of credit for that because I would not have the life that I have if it wasn't for her. And she believed in me and she believed in the shop and she believed in the hate. And I, um, there isn't a day goes by that I am beyond grateful for that. Awesome. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and I think it's testament also uh, to your energy uh, and your work ethic, uh, you know, and your, your, your commitment to the hate, right? Uh, I think it's a testament to all of those things as well, because, I mean, these things don't come into our lives, you know, randomly, or maybe they do. So I guess some people do, or some people believe that, uh, but I believe in the power of attraction, and I believe the energy that we put out into the universe, the universe responds in kind. Um, and sometimes it just takes, you know, the uh, uh, utmost belief and continuing to move forward uh, because it's the r- right intention, right? It's the right thing to do. And it, it, it's aligned with your own, uh, your own beliefs, your own soul or whatever, right? Um, and eventually the universe does respond in kind. Yeah. But that's how I got Love on Hate. It was the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love. I decided to change the name to Love on Hate. And um, 
So when that's I, just a happy random coincidence also that it was the 50th anniversary? Well, that's one thing that was got me so hot when Ben was like, I'm going to, I don't want this shop anymore, is that I had spent like a year doing press for the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love uh, came yeah, up. And right. when the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love came up, I was actually a spokesperson for the city with SF Travel. And I must have done like mm. over 200 interviews or something like that. And I was like, dude, there's no way... We're going to be closed for the 50th anniversary of the summer of love. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that we were open. It's, it's, um, the, the shop has, the shop has grown over the last five years and it is, um, I am, I am grateful for that, especially with the pandemic and the, the retail climate that it is, you know, we're doing, three times what we were doing that first year of the 50th anniversary awesome. of the summer of love. And, um, I was going to say that the pandemic had, had the pe- pandemic changed a lot of, I mean, there's no question the pandemic changed so many things. Uh, but you had some success. You, you had to close at one point. Was that just as a staffing a issue over a year? Close for over a year. We were the first small business in San Francisco to close. We closed a year before, or sorry, a day before the city announced mandatory closures. Um, what had happened was, um, you know, I lost everything in 08. So I had taken my husband for his birthday to Tulum in the beginning of March. And we had eaten some gummies one night and we were doing math. And uh, my husband's good at math. I'm not. And the numbers, he was like, this is, the, the numbers are not, the way the numbers are going, this is not going to be good. Something. You mean like COVID, COVID cases? Yeah, some, okay. some, something's going to happen. And I actually, I bought, bulk bought my first toilet paper from Mexico on March 3rd. And um, I came back and I took out like a Shopify loan for like 100 grand or something because I knew that shit was about to go down. And I, and I knew that in 08, I lost everything because I didn't have the money to make the moves that I needed to make. And I knew that I needed money to make moves that I needed to make. And, um, then we were so busy, like so busy the days before we close. And I called the shop and I was like, what is going on? Why are we so busy? And one of my employees was like, everyone's supposed to stay home and they don't know what to do. So they're all out shopping. And I was like, we're not helping anybody. Like we're not helping this virus go away. We're not doing our part. And so we closed and I ended, I announced the closing on March 15th. I ended it with a saying of, we will get by, we will survive, we will thrive. And um, the next I remember that was spray painted on. on and then uh, the next day I spray painted that on the wood. I closed the shop, yeah. I cleaned it out. Everyone told me not to put wood on. And um, Deputy Chief Lazar said, no sunshine, you go put wood on, you clean everything out. And one of the other merchants said, you know, it's going to look like a war zone if she does that. And the um, deputy chief Lazar was told me that it's going to be bad. And for me, I was very involved at City Hall in the time. And I acknowledged how close we were as a state to having the National Guard deliver us food. Um, I acknowledge, you know, how bad it could have gotten if we hadn't. And I knew right away that we would be closed for at least six months. And, um, 
you know, I had everyone apply for unemployment on like March 8th. I was like, everybody go get unemployment now. Stuff's about to go down. You know, I'll pay you as much as I can and we will figure out a way to make this happen. But we need to, it is about to go down. And I, uh, at the time I didn't really have an online shop and I moved it all to my garage, which was very cold. And I stayed there and worked on my online shop for like six months and you slowly, you rebuild and I had a lot of long-term employees that I lost and some are just starting to come back. It's very interesting to watch, but for me, I guess it was needed to be done. Like, you know, when I cleared out the shop, like, cause I totally cleared out the shop. I had gray walls and really ugly floors. And I was like, we need rainbow walls and rainbow floors. And then the outside got tagged really bad. And I was spent two days scrubbing this tagging stuff outside. And I was like, oh, we just need to paint the whole thing over again, you know? And I, I pay my taxes. So I got like huge money from the government and loans that I'm highly in debt to for 30 years, but <laughs> I it, know that it's <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you like, know, <laughs> economic <laughs> disaster. Loan, yeah. Right. You know, so I owe them a lot of money, but it is, it helps me build my nonprofit. It helped me redo the shop. It helped me obtain housing for my employees. And so it really just shifted um, how everything's going to be. May I pause for a moment? Cause I have bad news. Of course. Okay. My computer is about to die. Um, oh. do you mind if I link back up in like three minutes, if I go upstairs to my studio, of course. I get back and I'm of course. so sorry. I didn't realize it would take up so much battery. No um, problem. Hold, I, hold, don't, don't leave yet. I'm going to hit stop and then we got to let it finish uploading okay. and then once it's finished uploading and then do your thing and then we'll come back on and record okay, so I i'm just going to pause it for a sec okay cool we had to take a quick break there uh so you were talking about sonny you were talking about um getting through the pandemic right uh getting through the pandemic with love on hate and um it, it seems like in all the challenges uh it, but it sounds like you were way more prepared uh, and ahead of the curve, um, which is amazing because it, it seems like you've come out uh, come out of the pandemic swinging, right? Like um, close for a year. We we doubled our sales last year from before the pandemic, so we definitely um, we definitely kicked kicked the mass coming out of the pandemic, and um, I I think I learned a lot from losing everything before, and I think um, that'll do it. I just wasn't going to, I'm not someone that you can say no to, and I'm not someone that gives up very easily. Anyone that knows me will know that. And so, um, it was, uh, it was interesting, but, uh, I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life than in the pandemic. I don't know all these people that didn't work or like took it. That just was not me. And, um, I think it just gave me more fight. You know, there was a lot of things that happened during the pandemic. And I know you had brought up Colors of Love. And um, I was in my uh, garage working on the online store with one of my long-term employees when we saw the news about George Floyd. And we saw Trump tear gas the protesters so that he could hold up the Bible. And it was just so 
surreal to me and so unfathomable that this was my country that I that I, I, I am dedicated to, you know, that this was happening in, in my country. And um, at the time I was looking into opening up another shop on Haight-Ashbury because the t-shirt shop had closed and they had offered me the spot. And I actually was accepted for it. And then I turned it down after doing all the paperwork for it oh. um, because I really wanted, I had this shower vision that um, my husband works a lot with prisoner reentry, and it's one of the services that he offers to states. And um, I had learned through it that you know the what is the reentry process is just brutal, and women prisoners actually have less resources for re-entry than uh, male prisoners. And women prisoners have a higher recidivism rate than male prisoners. Isn't it that, and, isn't, I'm sorry, isn't it that um, actually the women's pr- prison population is, is growing much faster rate than men's prison rate? Yeah, and, and a majority of these Jeez. women are African-Americans. Yes. And a majority of them are actually heads of their households. A majority of them, not as much, but a decent amount of them are in there because of a crime that they did with a guy. And it is, uh, I just, I knew I needed to do something, you know, realistically for me, the first thing to do was cut and sew because it's so hard to get good garments and good blanks. And that's one of the things we as a company pride ourselves are are ethically made garments that are high quality. And um, I learned that 60% of the women who are in prison, their job is to cut and sew. So Mm. But I don't know, like I have someone who will donate all the machines and I have someone who are hire the women afterwards. But when it comes to cut and sew, I know a decent amount, but I'm not in the trenches. And I just felt like that wasn't a way for me. That was a harder platform for me to start. But I know tie-dye. Like I really know tie-dye, even though I don't tie-dye that much. I know tie-dye. And I thought that that was an easier entrance to a women's prisoner reentry project. And while it is our long-term goal to do a cut and sew factory, I definitely want to go to someplace like Detroit or Pittsburgh where you can pay someone $25 an hour and you can, you can change generational wealth if you do that. Um, yeah, that's a very livable so wage and like, then some in a place like that. That's, and, and you're helping those, uh, 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 like Detroit specifically, that's that's a community, that's a that's a city that could use some help, that could use a, a few people like you, right? And they it it needs help, you know, and yeah. and, and so I, I was able to start. We actually I actually signed the lease two years to the date that I closed the shop for the pandemic for um, the Colors of Love Foundation, and it's in Doctor Dave's office building on uh, Stanion Street. Nice. And, and um, I moved a uh, tie dyer. Actually, it was our first African-American tie dyer. I moved her out. I 
reached out to a few dyers and flew them out just to see who we would work best with. And Raven had just graduated with an MBA, which, you know, I have business experience, but I don't have formal education on business. So it's very helpful for me to have that in, in my staff and in my group of leaders that I have. And, um, her husband was getting deployed. So she, um, she was going to have some time where she didn't have really anything to do. And so we moved her out here. We had a place for her to live and we started the foundation. Uh, we got, we went to some conferences and we got hooked up with a place called her house, which is a halfway house with women, younger women coming out of uh, incarceration. And we did this thing where we brought all the women in the house to do tie dye. We did like a big event with them. And then we, um, we picked the best ones that we felt would work the best. And they've been with us for like six or seven months now. And uh, they are really good at their tie-dye. We are solidifying a deal with a very famous rapper's weed company to do tie-dye merch for them. And we are... Um, Can you mention his name or do you not want to mention? I'm can not trying to until the contracts are signed. <laughs> okay. That's a good idea. Yep, yep. Okay. Me and contracts are like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is, um, and, and it's just, um, it's really nice to watch the girls. They model for us now and they, it's one of them's going to start working at the shop and it's just, um, it's, it's nice. I'm, I'm a firm believer in second chances and 14th chances. And I understand that one person might not be able to give the same person a chance over and over again, but that's why we are a community so that one person can pick up where the other person left off. And, um, and, and we all deserve a chance. And I want to be one of those people that at least give one chance to someone. Wow. Again, radical compassion equals radical fulfillment, right? Um, that's amazing. Uh, and, and, and again, that's the organization that, you know, uh, we're, we want to help support as well. We think that's, Thank you. It, it's, it's fitting, right? Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, at the beginning of this conversation and before we started recording, you know, we talked about uh, really trying to, keep our keep to a, a shorter time just because our conversations are getting so long this has been the hardest conversation to rein in uh because there's so many connecting points right between uh between san francisco and uh, you know the hate and uh my experience and brandon's experience and you know just kind of uh, being aligned in a lot of our philosophy and thinking and it's, it's, I feel like I could go down, we could get so much deeper into so yeah. many parts of our conversation. <laughs> it's been really hard to, to, to dial back. Uh, but, but honestly, it's been good too, because it's forcing me to just mostly listen and shut up. So, um, um but, I like to tell the story of Viv, of Viv, Vivka. She, um, went to Dr. Dave in the eighties, addicted to heroin and, um, as life would have it, she ended up uh, going back to get clean, I think, 12 different times. And uh, on the 12th time, she got into Walden House and went through the program. 
She went on to get a scholarship from Harvard. She graduated wow. with a doctorate in Harvard from Harvard and she came back and she started Health Right 360, which started off as an umbrella nonprofit of Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, mm -hmm. Walton House and Rock Medicine. And it now has evolved to over 14 uh, free medical nonprofits and currently gives free healthcare to over 400,000 people throughout California. Um, when we did the 50th anniversary of the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic at the shop, Vivka got on the stage we used to have and asked us all to close our eyes and to think in the spider web of life, how many people Dr. Dave has actually helped. Oh, man. Wow. And to this day, six years later, that spider web is still going in my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Dr. Dave helped Kevin. Yeah, I went through Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic's in San Francisco, you know, I was in Treasure um, Island at a treatment facility run by Haight-Ashbury Free Clinics. And I mean, I've been clean ever since. So it's definitely impacted my life. I also was a patient with Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic. I went to Walden House twice, once for an entire year. Uh, and, you know, was was a patient slash client or whatever of HealthRight 360 for a while also. And how many people do you help? How is the spider web? How does it keep on going? Uh, again, to get back to the beginning of the conversation, that is what I want people to remember the hate for, that spider web, that how much one person can touch so many lives by doing good. Wow. Um, okay. So again, I feel like we could keep talking for, for hours uh, and I want to be mindful of time. Uh, I'm really, I really appreciate your energy and your time, Sunshine. Uh, and I love hearing all this. Uh, you know, we work with you a little bit and of course our producer and, and good friend, uh, Brandon and, and mine, uh, Kevin is also a, a, a great friend of yours and you're a number one fan. Uh, so, you know, the world's colliding and we just appreciate you being here and appreciate getting to know you a, a little more. And and to be honest with you, too, there's a I'm having like a deja vu through a lot of this conversation. Also, I'm like, I swear uh, there's this has happened before. Anyway, whatever. That just happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, as we kind of wind down, I do have a list of questions uh, that I want to ask. Um, uh, this is kind of how we we end our 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 conversations and, you know, some of them are silly. Uh, some of them uh, are, are meant to be just short, quick answers, or, you know, of course, feel free to expound if you like. Um, some of them we ask everybody the same couple questions and then a couple will tailor towards, um, towards a guest sometimes. Right. Okay. Uh, so when you're ready, uh, I'll start asking you a couple questions. Seatbelt on, ready to go. Okay. Seatbelt on, buckled up. Uh, okay. Was the Grateful Dead a punk band? Well, you'd have to ask Pigpen that question. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a chance someday. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> in throughout your 
extensive tape collection. That's an that was an epic tape collection. Uh, do you have a favorite show uh, that you'd go back to time and time again, or one that just hit like others, like more so than others, or maybe that changed a lot? But do, is there one that stands out in your mind as like this is my go-to, or I mean, the show was total look, fire? It was like sixty-three and the tangent when Jerry yodels on Mule Skinner Blues. <laughs> I mean, anytime that Jerry. You're like, here it comes. And then, man, the it was an 82 New Year's show where Etta James came out and did like Hard to Handle and was like, <laughs> I mean, that's just like epicness. Big thanks to our behind-the-scenes maestro, our producer, Kevin Grandpa Kev McCracken. And as always, thanks to the Grateful Dead for being the soundtrack to our lives. Don't forget to check out our Dead Tour Tales merch at deadtourtales.com. We have a couple killer designs by our friends and grateful artistic contributors, Ben Korn and Eric Cat- Aaron Cadigan. Also check out our other site, alwayshootstudios.com where you'll find a wider array of Grateful Dead inspired merchandise. Lastly, please check out our Patreon where you can subscribe for a few measly pennies a month and have the opportunity to receive access to some killer bonus video footage. I think we're even saving some blooper stuff to put on there, right? (laughs) Yes. Nobody's going to see it if they don't cough up a couple pennies for the Patreon. So... Uh, some sticker packs, t-shirts, an opportunity for a live call-in to the show, uh, or even uh, maybe we'll have you appear on an episode to talk with us about your experience in the Grateful Dead universe. So uh, we hope you're enjoying it. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you out on the road sometime. In the meantime, make sure you come back and check out next week's episode. It's going to be a hoot. We apologize to our listeners. Due to some audio issues, we lost the last few minutes of this episode. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again next week.